Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at the Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about the Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us by going to the show notes. There, you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So don't wait. Go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless. Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hello and welcome to the Restore Podcast, episode 14. I am your host, Javier, and I am so thankful that you've chosen to listen. The Restore Podcast exists to help restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And we do this through telling stories of different churches and how they are on the journey of transformation, along with having conversations over different relevant topics facing the church today. The Restore Podcast slowly but surely continues to grow, and we thank you for listening and Hope that you will share it with others, and please do subscribe to the podcast so that you won't miss when we release our monthly episodes. On today's episode, our guest is Pastor Jose St. Fard from the Bolingbroke Seventh-day Adventist Church in the wonderful state of Illinois, which is less than about two hours from Chicago. We invited him to our Restore Conference back in January, but in this episode, we dive a bit more into the transformational journey of the Bolingbroke Church. You will want to listen all the way through as it is an amazing story of a church that was at about 40 or so in attendance with one person um, telling Pastor Jose, as you will hear, that they are the frozen chosen and they do not change, to currently a church of about 400 with a mission that is the first thing that you read on their website, as it says, creating spaces for the people God misses the most. So I truly hope that you will enjoy this interview, this conversation with Pastor Jose Sinfar. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jose Sinfar. Well, I want to welcome uh, Pastor Jose Sinfar to the Restore podcast. Welcome, Jose. Thank you, Javier. Good to be here. It's great to have you. So let's get right into it, my friend. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you got into ministry and how you ended up at the Bolingbroke Church. Well, uh, I'll try to make the story short. Uh, around the age of 17, uh, I felt uh, a nudge from God that I was called into ministry probably over and over again from the age of 8, uh, 12, uh, 14, and 16. Different things happened in my life that kind of confirmed that God had a plan for my life. Um, and while, you know, some would say that that was clear from the time I was a child, it was also clear from the time I was a child that I, I didn't quite fit in <laughs> to my community, uh, from Sabbath school teachers to, you know, my school teachers, I was always told, you know, Jose's bright, but there was always a, but, <laughs> you know, added to that. Um, and so the, the paradox of being called into ministry while at the same time not fitting into society quite well uh, didn't make it wasn't clear to me. Uh, but at 17, God made it absolutely clear that that was what he wanted to do in my life. And so I went and studied theology, uh, ended up going to Andrews, was doing an MA. I figured, you know, those who can't do can teach. 
and so I was going to do an MA in religion. Um, ended up leaving Andrews early, uh, taking you know an opportunity to become a special education teacher back in Maryland. And it was while I was doing that uh, that I felt a dissatisfaction that I, that there was something more for me to do, and started helping at uh, what was then Columbia Union College. Uh, created a position for myself, a chaplain for ministry, and started working there and uh, ended up becoming the full-time chaplain there. And right then, during that moment, Pastor Terry Johnson from Sligo you know, came up to me and said, hey, would you like to be a senior pastor? And so we kind of started the conversation. Uh, Elder Ray Pachette from the Potomac Conference started the conversation with me, so we, kind of, we took on um, it became the pastor of the Millennium Ministries Church where Jose Rojas was pastoring. Uh, and from there, uh, we became a senior pastor, and then later on, Ray and Ray Pachette ended up becoming the Illinois Conference president and giving me a call over to Bolingbrook. So, a long story, uh, but you know, just different avenues that God took for me to end up at Bolingbrook. Absolutely. Well, that's that's uh, well. First of all, fascinating job and telling that uh, trajectory of your story in in about two or three minutes. I mean, uh, certainly. Uh, um, uh, could have gone further in that, and I fully understand that. I'm sure there's a lot more that happened, and we'd love to um, absolutely that at some at some point, perhaps throughout our story here, our time together here. But going from a special ed teacher to um, being the pastor of, of the Bolingbroke Church, we see how God leads us in different areas, and how He led you to Bolingbroke, and it's good for context as people now get to hear the story of where you're at uh, currently there at Bolingbroke. So. Tell us when you got there, uh, you're arriving into a new state, um, you're uh, married, married, yes, no kids? Yes, married, no kids. Okay, so you and your wife are, are, are arriving in Illinois uh, from the, um, the Potomac Conference, from the D.C. area, um, and so how, is, how was your first experience coming into the Bolingbroke Church? Well, very. Uh, it was very interesting. As a matter of fact, you know, my wife and I had basically uh, we we just started our lives together <laughs> coming into Bolingbrook, mm-hmm. um, and so we're coming into a, a place where you know I finally get the opportunity to be a full time pastor. You know, while I was in D.C., I was the chaplain at the university, and at the same time was leading and pastoring a church. Um, and so now I get this opportunity to lead a church and we get in there and it was, I would say a phenomenal experience from the beginning. Uh, the board was, you know, amazing group of people. Um, every church had their challenges. Uh, they were, uh, but they, what I loved about Bolingbrook was they were incredibly friendly, mm-hmm. uh, multicultural, multi-ethnic, and they were, um, really driven for something different. Um, they didn't know what that looked like yet. <laughs> but they were, they wanted something different. And a lot of times when we want something different, um, we're willing to take risks, although we know that those risks might hurt. And I think they took a big risk on me being 27 and, and, and taking on, you know, the senior, uh, senior pastor position. So it was an interesting look, but I'd say it was a group of people. Um, I'd say, you know, every other Saturday we'd get, you know, one time 60, 80, when people heard there was a new pastor in town, just like any other church, people started coming to see what this new pastor was about. Um, and so uh, pretty, pretty quickly, we got to about 100 people in, in regular attendance. Um, but I certainly was among the youth, or I should say the kids of the church. <laughs> you know, my age range, there was probably two or three other people that were around my age range. And so it was interesting 
to, to be to come from DC where there's a high population of young professionals to now in the middle of Midwest where you know people in their 30s are referred to as the kids okay. uh, in, in the church sure. so it's definitely an interesting conversation I think one of the conversations I remember is with one of the elders at the time she came to me and she said pastor uh, I hope you don't get discouraged but I want to let you know we are the frozen chosen. Uh, we do not change. We do not change. And, and so we, at that time, we were taking the, the board through a visioning process. Um, and they said, Pastor, we've written these visions several times. A new pastor comes in and we write the vision all over again and it goes nowhere. So it's a futile activity. And I promised her that once we, once we wrote it down, we were actually going to follow it. Uh, which, you know, I think uh, even now, uh, when we look back, she's able to, to see that that was the case. Well, so, so tell me how you took, and along with your leadership, of course, because no leader does it on his own or her own. Um, so how did you take the frozen chosen, as that elder mentioned to you, <laughs> and how did you proceed as you were visioning with them Tell us a little bit about that vision, about the mission, and how you guys have moved forward uh, to become this church on a transformational uh, journey. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that people often uh, try to do when they hear stories like ours in Bolingbrook, a church that uh, had maybe 60 to 80 people con consistently um, really was more like a family church where they had strong family units that kind of led and drove in the church to a church that is now multi-ethnic, multi-generational, uh, missional uh, church that moved away from an attract attractional model to a missional model where we're heading out to do ministry. Um, people often want to get, well, how do you do it? What's the method? How, how did you work it out? And I think one of the things that we often fail to do as leaders is give proper credit to God. We take it for granted, right? As pastors, we say, oh, God, yeah, we prayed. We prayed. Okay, tell me what else. Right. <laughs> and I think sure. what, are the, what, are the, what are the fundamental driving factors behind the transition that happened at Bolingbrook was a determination to be led by God hmm. through prayer. Hmm. We took several... A month, several moments, we gathered the leadership together, we gathered the church together, and we went through seasons of prayer. And, and Javier, I can tell you right now that no, no amount of books, no amount of leadership journeys, leadership conferences did um, anything at Bowman other than the, 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 the time it took for members to see that unless we're praying, we are not listening to God. And so that moment... Let me interject, and I'm sorry to interject, but I think perhaps some people are asking, so how, and maybe it's that mindset, right? Okay, okay, so we pray, just like you said, right, but what's next? But let's kind of uh, simmer here just for a moment. Um, when you got there and you began to take this time with your leadership to actually pray, um, what, what did that look like? How, how, how long were you guys doing this? What... What was the practice besides, of course, um, I would venture to say that you were praying on your own by yourself early morning, late, late, late evening, you know, 24 seven. What did what did that look like? So I've I've had a lot of these uh, stories now, right, as I've been uh, with the podcast. Now, this is episode 14 and been listening to incredible stories. And a lot of times I hear um, how it all starts with prayer. 
but I, now I'm learning to ask a deeper question of, of along with that, with the essence of prayer, uh, what did that, how did that look like within the heartbeat of the church? So of course we prayed that you guys prayed together. Was it also at different times? Did you, did you set up, you know, the old traditional, here's a sheet and let's pray 24 hours. Everybody sign up. So kind of what did that look like for those that may be listening and may want to know? Okay, perfect. So one of the things that we did early on is I, I, I first took the first three months when I entered into Bone, but I spent time praying on my own and visiting families, just getting to know the needs that were in the congregation. Mm. Um, and as I prayed on my own and got to know different families, got to know different needs, um, we started identifying what were the central themes um, that, that God wanted to touch at Bowenbrook. And so we started praying for um, more health within our families. We started praying for healthy marriages, healthy parenting. Uh, we started praying for kids that grown, grew up in the church and that had left. Um, and we started praying for those who are ill, those who are ill and going through and battling um, different chronic illnesses like cancer and, and different issues. And then we started praying for getting out of debt. Uh, those were the things that we identified that God uh, was willing to do something about. And so out of our time uh, together at the board, we started praying as a church. We would do these um, uh, Sabbath days of prayer and we would follow the Acts model in the worship service. We take, took the worship service completely away from what it was. And we started um, creating a flow that followed adoration, confession, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And those days of prayer we would then bring them into a seasons of prayer where we put on the bulletin what we're praying for. And we said, yeah, grab a partner, grab someone, and start praying for those things. And what started happening is people started getting free of cancer. People started, uh, their marriages started getting put back together. Uh, parents started seeing their kids <laughs> wanting to get involved in church again. And at the same time, we identified that the church on Saturday was not going to be for those who've been around for so long, but it's going to be for those people that were trying to get back. We started identifying that we, I said, we're not doing evangelistic meetings once a year. Uh, we're not going to do a big evangelistic campaign. Every single Saturday is going to be created for evangelism. Hmm. And so we're preaching the gospel on Saturdays. We're praying through. And then I sat down with our Wednesday night um, leader who, who's in the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I said, um, and I said, well, I'd like to come visit. So I went and visited Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I realized it really wasn't Wednesday night prayer meeting. Hmm. It was Wednesday night Bible study. <laughs> and, so, and so we, we started, uh, I said, you know what? Why don't we call Wednesday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night Bible study, and you guys can continue reading through the books of the Bible. Um, and then let's create an actual prayer meeting. And so I identified a prayer coordinator. Uh, we started praying on Wednesday night from 6 o'clock to 6.30. We said, this is just right before Bible study. This is just a prayer meeting. And we started um, doing that. And people started coming. It was discouraging because some people felt like, well, it's not the whole church. But I said, all we need is a group of people who see the vision of making the church prayer saturated. Hmm. Um, and we, we would do that. And then that would be Wednesday night. And then Saturday mornings, we had another group that prayed at 8 a.m. Uh, and just was praying for the same things. Uh, and so we were praying in the homes. We were praying corporately through days of prayer. Uh, we had a special uh, time of prayer in the morning on Saturday. And then we even created a prayer wall online for people to submit their prayers. So really, no matter where you were at the church, you were hearing about prayer. 
And what made anything that happened possible at Bonebrook later was because people saw people's prayers being answered. Mm. And then we shared those stories. We shared those testimonies. We showed people who, you know, were healed of cancer. And as people saw that happening, then when I said, hey, God can do more, it was believable mm. because they saw what God was able to do. Well, that's powerful, man. And that's just incredible to hear. That's really a saturation, right? So you, uh, you, you transformed prayer meeting from a Bible study along and actually brought along um, a time of prayer, right? That's six to six, you know, 30. You had a prayer group praying on Sabbath morning, on Saturday mornings. Um, and I think what I really like about that, and we don't see as often sometimes, um, and I visit so many different um, churches, is shared stories of answered prayer. Uh, because that, that, that will increase the motivation is what I'm hearing you say, right? That, that aspect. That's yeah, powerful. Yeah. Everybody loves stories. And everybody loves to hear, uh, I say everybody, most like to hear, I, I would venture to say, that, that at least a portion, an, an area where people can say, this is my story and of how God answered my prayer. So, so you start praying, you start saturating the church in prayer, you're, you're doing all these aspects. People start hearing these different stories. So how, how does that people start getting healed, as you mentioned, uh, from different areas in their lives? Marriages started to be rest uh, restored. Um, finances as well. And so how does that now begin to, or I should say, continue um, to transform the church and, and moving it forward? What are, along with what you stated, what are some of the other aspects that you saw that were, again, moving the church forward in mission? Yeah. So I think part of, part of that um, is, like I said, when we identified some of the different issues, finance was one of them. And remember from the very beginning, I'm saying a Saturday is for people out there. <laughs> the people out there, this is what Saturdays exist for. And so we started identifying ministries as well that can be used for the people outside of the church. One of those things were finances. And so we, we decided to do a financial peace university by Dave Ramsey. Okay. And we started looking at a, a campaign and, you know, our treasurer came and said, hey, I, I, I saw this. I love this conference. I love this idea. And I think, oh, man, this is awesome. So one of the, I think, key things uh, that pastors need to learn is to create a culture of yes. Now, we haven't done it you know, as great as I would want to at Bowlingbrook, sure. but I think that's one of the things that created a shift in our culture is that people saw that they were not uh, being told what to do, but we were collaborating with God to find out what to do. Hmm. I didn't have a set agenda in mind that, hey, this is the kind of church I'm going to be. When I said I'm listening to God, I really was listening to see where God wanted it to go. And so when people started coming up with different ideas that fell in line with the vision, and at that point, the vision was clearly the church exists for the people outside. Um, I jumped on board and I made it, made it our idea. And so when our treasurer came and said, let's do a financial piece for the community, um, let's, you know, let's put together a week's. Um, a financial piece, uh, do VBS with it and everything. I said, let's go. And so we made that the big move for our church. We, we, we created those, those opportunities. And then we, four people that were in debt, serious debt, became free through that year mm -hmm. of debt, even paid off their mortgages. Wow. And so we get celebrated those stories. <laughs> wow. And so people saw, at that point, what people saw was, hey, as God moves us from step to step, 
we have a leader who's willing to follow God there. It's not a set agenda. We're not trying to be like church down the street. We're just listening to God with what he wants to do at our church. And at that point, we didn't have a clear uh, cut out mission or vision. We just wanted to be with what God was doing. God had a mission and we wanted to join him in. And at that point, we just wanted to be a debt-free church. And so those are the things that we, we kind of pushed and people started coming. Those who were in financial difficulty started coming to our church. Those who were wanting to hear more about Jesus and, and understanding what Jesus had to do for their lives was, was coming to our church. Our sermon series followed the things that we were doing um, so that people weren't only hearing it through financial peace, but they were hearing it in the messages and showing how the Bible followed it. And so other leaders started stepping in and started engaging in a conversation around vision. And at that time, the treasurer at the time and other leaders who were part of the financial piece uh, took the team together and we created what we called a dream team, which was then going to dream about what does God want us to become? <laughs> you know, now that we see what God has done in our families, now that we see he, he's able to release us uh, fin financially, what kind of church are we really going to be? And along with that treasure in different families, we, we took on and we, be, we, be, we, we took on a dream team that was going to listen to God and dream about what God wanted to do. So tell me now a little bit. Of course, you've piqued our interest. What is that? What does that now that um, God really blessed with the Financial Peace University, something that's helped so many people and um, certainly continues to help so many people um, and it liberated so many people from a debt. They saw what God can do. That was something that your church um, obviously needed. Um, and so people hear those stories. You guys create now this dream team that is envisioning of what the church can be. So tell us what that dream team looks like and, and where it's at now and what that vision looks like now. So our dream team um, took on people that were uh, had been in the church for a long time, people that had just started coming to the church, um, people that were in leadership and lay, lay people. And we started asking the question, it's 2016, what kind of church are you inviting your friend to? And so, and so that was the question uh, that everyone was listening to and, and, and asking questions about. And we started identifying um, certain things that we wanted um, God to do. And it was at that dream team we came with our mission statement. Uh, which really uh, is, is Christ's mission of making disciples. So it, 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 we wrote developing Christ-like disciples of all ages and all peoples. Mm -hmm. And we, we put the all ages and all peoples because at that time, more young people were starting to come to the church and people started shifting and started, you know, the people that were there for a while kind of felt, okay, am I becoming irrelevant? And so we wanted to reassure we're not trying to be the next youth church. We're not trying to be the next young church. We exist for all ages. And we never wanted to move away from the idea that we were multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, church. And so that was the one thing that came out of that dream team. We then uh, took the dream team and brought it back to the board um, and we started crafting and identifying um, church business sessions where the whole church can now dream with us. And then the whole church started looking at, we created little small groups, church business session. Everybody had pads and started writing crazy things like, we want a pool, you know, outside. We want a basketball so people can, can play basketball. Just, yeah. Somebody said, you know, we, we wanted to have a pool on the rooftop of the church. And I, we, we took all the ideas. <laughs> but at, at, the, at the end of that, what we, what we said is we identified five major components that we wanted to build. Okay. And, um, 
one, one of the things we said is that we want to build relationships at our church. Mm-hmm. That relationships were going to matter. And then we said by the end of 2018, we would have certain relationship building ministries that are, that are meant to help people build relationships. Okay. Uh, we said that we're going to cultivate leadership in our church. We're going to develop leaders and that a disciple eventually is called to lead. And so we said that, you know, whether it's Pathfinders, Adventures, uh, whether it's a music ministry or media ministry, that we will make sure that our leaders get professional development, hmm. that we would spend the money to send them to conferences, uh, whether it's Adventist only, whether it's Christian wide, whatever it was, we we're going to spend the money to send our leaders to, to get proper training for what they're called to do. Um, at that time, we had 15 leaders in our church. And we said we're going to double that by 2018. Uh, that we, we, were, we were really ambitious. Uh, uh, but now I think when I look at the church, we have over uh, 60 leaders in our church um, and so many more volunteers. But part of that is we started taking our leaders through conferences. And then I think one of the things that we did when it comes to leadership development is we realized that I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. Mm-hmm. We're going to need other people that can do this. And so we took our first step towards hiring staff. So we hired uh, um, a worship director. That was the first thing we did because we said our Saturdays is going to be our evangelism. So we need somebody to craft that. We went to the conference. We went to the Adventist Hospital in our area of Bonebrook Hospital. And we said, can we partner together to create a salary for the worship director? And so, you know, they, they took me on and, and we brought that person on. We now have five full-time staff at our church wow. uh, that is paid for by the local church. Um, and we, we, those were the steps that we took to build leaders. Um, and then we said, we're going to not only build relationships, we're not going to build leaders. We're going to create attractional spaces uh, for young people, for children, for adults. We're going to make sure that each space looks like who it's attracting. So our kids' space is going to look in a way that kids get attracted to it. Our young adult space is going to look in a way. And we then started identifying that we were going to create a service that was going to attract young adults. Um, And so what we did was it was going to be very hard to shift the church uh, because the church was really traditional, hymn-based. You know, it, it was, you know, we start at, you know, 9.30 style school, 11 o'clock, you know, worship service. And so what we did is we created a church within the church. We said, based on the vision, we're going to create a service, and we call it the Elevate service. Mm-hmm. And then the service that was more traditional was we called it the Arise service. And that was after a year of listening, serving the congregation. We asked them what kind of music they wanted. Um, most of the congregation said they wanted more contemporary blend between hymns, uh, contemporary music, uh, gospel, you know, different Latin uh, inspirational music. And so the group that kind of just wanted the hymns uh, was 8%, Javier. And that 8% spoke loudly that God wanted hymns at our church. And so we created, <laughs> we created a service based on hymns. And we said, let's see you know, how, how it does. And our contemporary blended service uh, we're not a contemporary Christian music church. We're not a gospel music church. We're not uh, a, a hymn-based church. We're literally, truly a blended worship service, which is one of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we hired another worship director that can do Latin gospel. And then instead of putting it on one worship director to lead that, we said, hey, can you guys work together? And our Elevate service uh, started growing, multiplying to the point we had to do two, three 
elevate worship services. Service. And it's at that point, yes, and it's at that point we said, okay, we're not doing elevate and arise. This is who we are. <laughs> we are the Bolingbroke Church, and this is the kind of church uh, we're going to be. And so we, we, we looked at the, the attractional spaces. And then one of the other things that we said is that we're okay. going to let build relationships. We're going to build. Let me, let me jump in here for a second because I know some people may be listening and their mind is going, wait a minute, wait a minute. He just, he just finished telling me that when he got there, there was, there was uh, 30, 40, 50 people. And now he's talking about hiring five full-time staff hired by the church along with yourself. He's gone from a traditional service um, with him based, which again, neither of us, I think, are here saying that this is about that being wrong or right. That's just what it was, right? And so- uh, Based on the survey. So it was really based on the response of the congregation. Exactly. So that's what the survey had. And so this 8% that you mentioned, they wanted this service. And so- but the Elevate service, um, as you called it, 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 it rolls up to the point where there were so many people coming and so many services that you had three services. You did away with the Arise service. Is that what I heard you say? We didn't do away with it. We actually still kept it. Arise is still to this day <laughs> part of our church. It's still there. Okay. So, so that, I mean, that's a, that's, and you did this, this is all happening within the span of about a year. Is that, is that, is that correct? No, about two and a half years. Two and a half. About two and a half years. Okay. So so now how many people are coming to um, your your services? I mean, you got three services plus you have the Arise service. So how many people are coming? You got five staff. Um, you got all this growth happening. A lot of um, effort being in um, intentionality, I should say, being put in, in into the leaders. I'm, I'm hearing you say that quite a bit. Um, so... How, how are you dealing with all of this growth now? Because now you're having to manage a staff of five, right? So here's this, uh, here's this, again, you, you mentioned it, this elder that says, pastor, we're the frozen chosen. And so this is no longer the frozen chosen. You're still the young guy at 27 years old with a staff now of what, six people, including yourself, five and you, six, right? If not more. Uh, along with the volunteers, you, you've gone from 30 to 60 leaders. So how are you wrapping your mind around all this? And and um, so along with what you were saying, I, I, I just had to kind of stop you there just for a moment, just to kind of summarize everything that you've just said. And you're and nobody can see you, but you're like smiling. I'm smiling because we want to <laughs> put this into context for those uh, listening, because it is an incredible story of God working. Again, this all started. Let's let's give credit as you began saying with prayer, just saturating everything with prayer. And then something that also uh, you mentioned is that you purposely went and visited people for several months as this prayer yeah. time was sending. And we can't, I can't leave here. I, I would be remiss if we don't add that because I think that goes a long way. You took the time to get to know the people. And I think that was yeah. vital. I don't know if, if, if you think so, but obviously it seems to have helped you quite a bit and building rapport with the people that are there um, as you were going forward. So back to the original question, all that is happening, summarize everything. How are you wrapping your mind about all this growth that is happening at the church? Well, thankfully I'm no longer 27, <laughs> you know, now 32. And so um, I've gotten a lot wiser, I, I should say, uh, thanks to God. But I think, you know, part of what has happened, I, I've been able to say a lot, um, but one of the things that 
we did, I think, that helped our congregation and it's continued to help me is we brought outside influence in um, to kind of share that this wasn't just my vision, right? And so one of the things that the church, as the church is growing, we're, we're now three services, we're still in the same building. Um, we brought on um, people like Roger Hernandez to come on and, and talk about intentionality and excellence. And we brought on other speakers, the, the conference president to come in. We brought on different people to kind of share that, hey, we what we're doing here, evangelizing others, making church about um, people outside. This is something that not only God is doing here, this is what God wants to do throughout our denomination uh, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And so people started hearing that and then started getting on board even more now. And now when we, we, we did a whole nother season of prayer, because now we're doing three services. Now at that point, we didn't have five yet. We were probably at three staff at that point. Uh, and, and, but we, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how we're going. And on top of that, Javier, Every year, we're looking at our finances, and we're asking the people to give even more because of what God is calling them to. God is calling us to do, and crazily enough, God keeps adding. God keeps adding, and so people are just seeing all of this, and they're going, "This is there's no way this is Jose Saint Card. That this has to be God." And so, even though the eight percenters, I'm going to call them, the folks who till till that point still was kind of like, uh, this isn't right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. They couldn't, they couldn't say this was something that was being human-led. They had to see the evidence of God. And so that was what allowed them to get on board. And so we did a whole other season of prayer. And at that point, we started praying now for more spaces for more people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we started praying now uh, for the community. What can we do to help the community? We started having a different shift in our prayer from inward focus now to out focus. Uh, but I think you're right. We had to make sure the people there first mattered and was valued, uh, which is why I took the time to be with them. Otherwise, it, you're trying to take a group of people who themselves feel not so relevant and trying to make other people feel relevant. So when they felt that their love tanks were full, <laughs> their pastor cared for them, it was easier to say, now let's, let's go and help the, the others. Mm -hmm. And so um, at that point, we prayed, and then God led us to, hey, let's move out the building. Mm. Uh, building, is built, building is built. We paid for it. We need more space. So we started renting another building, wow. and we, we took uh, – it was easier to say that because, you know, we said, hey, we're a big family. We don't get to see each other between three services. What if we all went to one big place? And people said, yes, faster, let's go. And so we went. Um, and we started a new service. We actually took the church away from Bolingbrook and started and plant and we planted the church in Romeoville. And when I say we planted, it really was a replant because by the time that church started in April uh, 2015, everything from the mission and vision was so clear with that new group. We had a whole new population coming from Chicago at that point. We had a lot more young people that, that came in. We had a, a group of people that were hungry for God. Uh, and so at that point, we crafted our vision statement to match where we were. And we said, we are going to create spaces for the people God misses the most. Mm -hmm. And that's where we started um, our, our, our church. And at that point, um, at this point, we now have one, two services, one arise in the morning, and then our second service, we, when we replanted, we were probably around the 260 range. Uh, we're now over 400 people in attendance. We now have the five full-time staff, and I'm still 
trying to reinvent myself because now I can no longer be the pastor who's in every home uh, playing Monopoly with the folks, hanging out, playing Settlers of Catan. <laughs> you know, I have to spend time with our staff. And it took, it took a shift because people were not used to that. People were used to me being in their homes, hanging out, connecting. And then I had to, to move away and empower my staff mm-hmm. as the leaders where people would come past with it and I'd say, well, did you talk to so-and-so? Hmm. And that really took, and still to this day, is hard on people because they want that connection to me. And, you know, I give them, I say, I can be your pastor. That means I'm here for you when times are rough, when things are, you know, you need somebody to talk to and pray through. That's who I am. When it comes to ministry uh, and leadership, here's your leader. And I'll point them to the volunteer director, the worship leader, the care director, um, and our student ministry director, and empowering them to really answer the questions and really lead the people. And um, I think that's where we are now, still trying to managing that. Um, you know, just yesterday I came from a visit, and the family said, Pastor, it's been a year since we've seen you. <laughs> and I said, well, we have over 400 people in 365 days. So I think uh, I'm actually ahead of time. <laughs> you know? and, you know, this, is a, this is a very vital. I, I, I so appreciate you, um, you know, listening to your story. Um, and um, to be clear, for those that are listening to this, this episode, and you can vouch for this, um, I, I waited until now. So I haven't heard all of this part of your story. Even when we invited you to, you know, res- uh, to restore conference, I had heard part of your story, but not all of these uh, details, which is why we're doing this episode here. Um, and so, it, it, you bring up a vital point, and um, in full disclosure, it wasn't on the pre-questions that I, that I sent you. Um, <laughs> but you know, Carrie Newoff, which has perhaps one of the greatest um, Christian leadership podcasts out there, highly recommend to those that aren't already listening to it. Um, and his blog as well, his books and so on. But he he um, mentions exactly what you're talking about, that the bigger the congregation gets, right, um, the less that the lead pastor, I can say it that way, will be able to visit, will be able to be the pastoral, the full-time pastoral caretaker of the congregation, right? And um, we can we can put um, in the show links in the show notes. We could put links to that particular um, blog and that um, and some of the episodes that he talks about that. But that seems to be what you're you are struggling with now, and and your church members mentioned. Yeah. So it's yeah. not that you you don't do any kind of pastoral care. Is that that it is impossible for you to do all the pastoral care? Yes. Even if the congreg- some in the congregation feel that, hey, Pastor Jose, we need you, but now yes. you're suggesting, right? And, I, and people can't see you, but you're smiling because you're agreeing that it's just impossible. You, you need to focus Absolutely. on the staff. You need to focus on empowering them so that they can empower others and they can be the caretakers that it is impossible for you to be. Is that, is that fair to say? Yes, that's exactly. I, I want to share my one-liner that I shared with the board and I shared with the staff. And, and one-liner simply means, what is my responsibility? <laughs> and you know, I said, I said to the staff, and every one of our staff members and our ministry leaders have a one-liner. That is, what is, what is at the end of the day, what do you do for Bone Book Church? And, and I say, here's, here's my one-liner. My one-liner, I lead our staff, our elders, our board, and our congregation to consistently carry out the God-inspired vision 
to create disciple-making spaces for the people God misses the most. That is, my job is to cast and inspire vision. And that is the one thing that I do, and I spend most of that time doing it, my staff, my elders, and my board. Um, other, other than that, when I do pastoral care, um, it's really, you know, one of the things that we do in our group pastoral visit, our congregational care has now moved to our elders. They're the ones that are providing congregational care. Our staff are the ones who are looking at um, leadership and executing vision. And my role is to pastor those people. And if I spend time pastoring them, they can then spend time with the congregation. Mm-hmm. And I still, because I think every leader has to have baseline um, opportunities to be with the people that are, you know, that are right in the midst of in the midst of the work, which is our congregation. So, you know, every quarter I spend time with eight families in the church um, and I, I visit with them uh, and I choose eight different families, but I can't do it with everyone. And they understand that. And probably one of the hardest things for a pastor like me who loves being with people yes. is when I hear from one of my congregations, oh, pastor, you're so busy. <laughs> and you know, they, they understand that I'm busy, but it's so hard because I want to be with everyone. I want to be with, with, with the people, but I can't. Uh, we had to hire someone um, who, whose background is in uh, social work, counseling. Uh, we, we had a licensed counselor to come and help coach people and create an entire uh, counseling network in our church for married, divorcees, parenting. Uh, and because there was a point um, where I was doing 10 to 12 counseling sessions uh, a quarter. And so that wasn't feasible. And so we brought on somebody. And, and, and really every time, you know, people think, like, I keep saying I'm hiring staff and people go, man, the church must have money. I want to make sure people, people understand. Vision, vision that is God-inspired will be God-supplied. <laughs> God will supply the money for the vision he has. If it's your vision, yeah, I don't know where you're going to get the money. But if, if it's something God wants, he's going to supply that money. And we've had people from all over, not necessarily from our church. I've, I've, got, I've, done, I've done one-on-ones with you know, members of our church who I know um, can do it. And I say, hey, here's the vision. Can you help me? And they say, Pastor, here's the money. You know, here's it. I go to the hospital. I go to our community. I go to the conference. I go to, you know, anyone who's willing to listen (laughs) to my vision. And I say, here's what we're trying to do. Can you help us bring someone to do it? And we don't hire staff because we don't think volunteers can't do it. We just know volunteers can't do it. (laughs) We we, We know that for someone to take the time, full time out of their life, to think of church, um, they also have to not think about how I'm going to take care of my family. Uh, and, and so what we do is those people who are willing to um, take a serious pay cut, <laughs> it, 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 it help us do our vision. We say, can you commit? Can you commit to this vision? And we don't hire people. We don't say, can you commit to a year? Can you commit to two years? We say, we want to do this. And until this happens, are you willing to get on board? And those are the people we say, come on board. Um, and then we, we find the money for them. And, you know, even just last year, some people heard it from our church when we talked about, hey, we don't have enough money. We're not bringing enough time. We're not bringing an offering. And then people heard that cry and, and supplied. Um, and, and then some people kind of confessed, hey, Pastor, you know, I haven't been as faithful in my tithing offering. I haven't been doing this. I thought we were okay. I think that's another mistake leaders do. We make things look too good. <laughs> and, and so uh, when I started saying to the congregation, hey, we're in trouble. Um, we need to supply this. Um, God, again, heard. So it's not 
that we haven't gone through tough things financially. It's not that God, you know, there hasn't been difficulty. There's plenty of it. Uh, but two things that the leader must keep is one, stay closely connected to God, and two, stay listening to your congregation. Well, I think that's a, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm sure people, as they're listening, uh, somebody's going to be saying, how in the world does a 400 plus member congregation have five people on their staff <laughs> along with the pastor? Um, and you, you've been part answered that question. I think number one, I, I, I love your saying and correct me here is a vision that is God inspired will be God supplied. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. that's part of it, but also, in, in the practicum of that is that you go and work it as the vision caster, as a vision leader, by what you're telling me and, and tell me if I'm wrong, you, you said, right. You said, I'll go to the hospital. I'll go to uh, yeah. visuals. I'll go to whoever would listen to the vision that you're already casting. And yet you hope as you throw the, as you throw, you know, you're going fishing, right? You go out there, yeah. you know, somebody will, will catch that and um, supply it through God's power. Right. And seems like that's worked for you guys, and that's happened. So that's part of what you do as a leader. You go out there and you try, and you, along with I'm sure others. Um, but certainly, it seems that God has been blessing in a mighty way. Um, so thank you for pointing that out and saying that that there there hasn't been um, hardships. You know, there has been hardships, I should say, along the way, and we just have to. It seems like you just continue to push through that, and that's. I think yeah. that determines if a church is going to continue to succeed or not. Um, but let me let me kind of change a little bit or shift gears a little bit on the question. So what's it been like to go from, and I'll be more specific on the question, to go from a 30, 40 member church to a 400 plus multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, right? And so what what has perhaps been... You've mentioned some of them, you know, worship services, the 8% with the, um, you know, music, that can be. But it seems like you guys are way over that hump, way, way, way past that now. Yeah. Um, so, but has there been challenges? As in if, and if they, if there has been, perhaps you can enlighten us and how and what they've been and how you've been able to overcome them or how you are overcoming them to have a multi-ethnic, but also multi, you know, generational congregation. The amount of challenges is something that we don't have time for. <laughs> uh, but I think I think one of the things I was talking to one of our families who come from Bulgaria, uh, Eastern European, yesterday. And, uh, he was mentioning yesterday. He said, you know, one of the things uh, he was talking about another church he went to that people barely ever, you know, talked to him because he felt like you know he was you know uh, had immigrated here and so people didn't really connect with him. And he said, you know, at Bolingbrook, the thing that connects us the most is our love for Jesus. Hmm. Um, and I think part of what happens in diverse churches and multicultural churches is that we try, I, I talk about this, um, uh, there's a book uh, called The Fellowship of Difference. And he talks about this idea that people um, take a salad bowl uh, and, and put all sorts of different things, on lettuce, tomato, you know, uh, olives, you know, broccoli. We put all this, and we're like, oh, man, look how multicultural we are. Look how diverse we are. Look how multi-ethnic we are. And we say, um, okay, now, now let's add salad dressing. And so we, we, take, we take the ranch, you know, salad dressing and put, and we put enough salad dressing so you no longer taste the broccoli. You no longer taste the carrot. You no longer taste, you just, you're just eating ranch. 
Right. And I think that that's what happens in a lot of multicultural, multi-ethnic churches is that we take all of these people and we say, now you have to behave the same way. You have to think the same way. You have to feel the same way. And one of the things we try to do at Bowling Book is we allow the individual unique cultures to shine through and understand that, yes, we are multicultural. Therefore, on our stage is also multi, always multicultural. On our, in our leadership, in our ministries, we always try to reflect that so that different ideas and different thoughts and the way people think can always be represented in our church. Um, and probably one of the things that uh, makes it probably a little bit easier for me is because, you know, unlike most, I've been able to minister and spend time in different countries and in different cultures. I've been able to spend significant time in those countries. And so it's a little bit easier for me to be able to relate to different cultures and understand that just because I think a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way. Yeah. So when somebody comes and say, Pastor, you know, in our culture, we do this. In our culture, we do that. I first try to help them understand that it's culture speaking and it's not God necessarily speaking. Wow. And then... And then, and then go and say, okay, but this is why we do the things we do here. And so I think one of the things that's helped us is we've always had a clear why as to what we do. When, we, when it's a worship service, when it's a project, when it's anything, we always, at the staff level, ask the question why. And our staff is extremely multicultural. So our staff, we already have discussions of culture, you yeah. know, during you know, Black Lives Matter, all these things that were happening in, in the city of Chicago. A lot of these things came about um, in our staff meetings, and then when, the way we responded at the church is, hey, guys, there are things that are happening in our world that cause us to pull apart, and we, don't, we can't just ignore them, but we have to know and be sensible to the fact that this person comes from this area and comes from this place, and we, our response is always to love, love. Even when you feel like you're the victim, love. When you feel like you're the one being abused, love. When you feel like the one that, that, that maybe, you know, your actions aren't given in the right context, love. And so one of the things that we're able to do is always answer the question why, so that when cultural uh, differences arise, we can have such a strong why that it overcomes every culture. Wow. Um, so our why is so strong that, yes, I understand this is how uh, Hispanic culture does it, but this is why we're doing it this way. I understand this is how Eastern European culture does it, but this is why we are doing it this way. And our why is so strong that it coalesces community rather than splits community. Well, Zay, that's that, that alone preaches right there, my friend, uh, to uh, leaders and um, that are listening, pastors, leaders of wherever, um, and um, is, to, is to have a strong why. Um, and I know as a person who listens to a lot of leadership podcasts, um, you know, Greg Rochelle talks about that, that many people yes, yes. have not an issue with change as in much as in most of the time they are not explained the why. And I'm just yes. kind of summarizing what he said. Um, he says that a whole lot better than I just did. But essentially is what you're talking about is that is answering that why most people and of course, generalizing here. um, if they understand the why, then the practice of whatever they're answering becomes a lot easier. The change uh, of whatever yeah. comes comes a lot easier. Is that is that fair to say what happens with you guys? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that that's really much been the journey of our, our, our transformation to becoming missional. Um, is that the why comes from the overall why comes from God has a mission and he's doing something in the world. And we want to be a part of it. Mm. 
we're not creating a new mission. We're not creating something brand new. The mission goes way beyond us. And I, I say this to the congregation all the time. If, if you think you're going to wait till Jose St. Barb leaves, so, you know, you, the church can become what you wanted it to be again, uh, you're, you're sadly mistaken because God is going anywhere. And because God isn't going anywhere, the mission will, will, will stay on. And so one of the things that in order to help craft a strong why is that I allow people to ask me why. Hmm. It's great to keep saying, here's why to other people. But when members say, well, pastor, why are we doing this? I can't be frustrated with that question. I have to be able to answer, here's why. And then there are times where my why isn't that strong. And you know what what I'm willing to do at that point? I'm willing to say, okay, you know what? We're not going to do it. I think one of the, you know, when I, when I was being uh, ordained, uh, I think last year, our elder, one of the elders stood up and he said, what I've always appreciated about you is that uh, you'll come and you'll have a vision and it'll be clear what we're going to do. And then you hear all these different people and you come back and it always returns modified in some way so that everyone's voice was heard. And, and we're not ever, never going to be able to please everyone, right. but I think leaders, uh, have to be strong enough to be flexible. And in our church, one of our core values, we call it gracious flexibility. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to be flexible for the, in order to extend grace to others, that we're willing to move beyond traditions, uh, move beyond methods in order to, to make sure that everyone is in, on the bus, in the right seat, going the same place. Otherwise, we're just leading no, no one nowhere. Um, so we, so we have to be able to listen. I think that's the biggest thing uh, for me in my journey that I've had to learn to listen. Um, and it's hard and I'm still learning it right now. And it's something I'm still trying to remind myself that even though I spent hours thinking about something, um, if I don't have the time to listen to others, um, I'm not going to go anywhere. And I think it helps because one of my strongest points, uh, one of my strengths is input. So I, 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 I yearn for input from others um, and it could be a strength and it also could be a weakness and it has been a weakness in my life in, 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 in some time because it keeps me from moving forward because of all the input uh, but I think part of it is uh, for me as a leader is because I've strengthened my staff so much to be able to ask me questions to be able to challenge me um, they're able to keep me in line when I'm moving towards while the congregation doesn't want to do that the staff is able to say but pastor we have a strong why and so we can move forward. You clearly cre- uh, created exactly what you said. Uh, you, it seems like you've created a culture of gracious flexibility, uh, which allows those questions to come. Um, it allows people to ask you questions. And at the same time, it allows you, it seems, to ask them questions, right? So that yes. we're all able to um, ask each other questions and hopefully get the answers to those whys. Um, one, one question that, um, I ask a lot of pastors sometimes is in the midst of all this growth, right? So you, again, going from 30, 40 to 400 plus, uh, all these different ministries, incredible worship services, hiring staff, how are you creating environments or spaces at, as you said, in which people are connecting outside of the gathered church, right? So the gathered experience on for us as a community of as a Seventh-day Adventist community of faith, obviously the importance of the Sabbath, that gathered experience, you guys have made it into a worship experience that is not just for you guys, but for those that are far from, you know, God obviously been successful. But now 
during the week, during the other six days and whatever hours of the day, how do you guys create that space where, as uh, you know, the famous line by Andy Stanley, where um, circles are better than rows. I'm sure you've heard him say that many times. Yeah. Do you guys have those spaces? Do you guys have some type of small groups, connect groups, grow groups, whatever um, you may call them? What What do you guys do about that? Yeah, so part of it um, for us, there are three spaces, and it used to be four. Uh, that's, that's where the gracious flexibility comes. <laughs> um, it used to be invite, connect, grow, serve. And so one of our things was we have to serve others. So we've done several projects partnering with the hospital uh, to serve those um, who are less fortunate, whether it's, you know, kids in foster homes, whether it's, you know, kids in Chicago, uh, whether it's building, you know, uh, building homes for veterans. Uh, we've done a lot of those kind of things. But a lot of those things I just said, weren't actually spurred by the congregation in the sense of the pastoral leadership. One of the things we've tried to help people understand is that when we say we're creating spaces for the people God nurses the most, they are the first space we create. We call them our invite space. Our invite space is the gathered worship and the people who come to gather to worship. I say, so when you go somewhere else, you are an invite space into going to church. Uh, and so this they now took that on and so we had people one Saturday, somebody called me and said, Pastor, um, I want to take about 30 people. Uh, we're going to go and um, we're going to remodel and, you know, uh, uh, rebuild um, some homes um, for veterans in Chicago. I said, oh, man, that is awesome. What do you need for me? And he said, well, you know, they're not going to be able to go to church. And I said, perfect, perfect. That's awesome. And, and so we made the announcement. We, I said, go ahead, call people, call whoever you want. They went out uh, and, and they gathered 20 to 30 people to go and do this. There was another group of, of parents who said, we want to go feed my starving children. And so they went and they took a group of people. They, they went and did feed my starving children. So a lot of what we realized was that was actually the space that we we're creating was just an innate value that we have as a church. We are going to be of service. As invite people, we're going to be of service. And so now, how do we do the other six days? Javier, as I'm speaking to you, there are people that are probably serving. And what they do is when they get a serve project, they either call one of our staff or call people in the church and they say, can you go with me? Mm-hmm. Can you go with me and serve? And twice a year, we do big service days, uh, you know, towards fall and Christmas, whether it's uh, packing for homeless people, feed my starving children, or um, other projects that we, that we take on, partnering with the local high school. We do those things as a church corporately, but throughout the year, people come up with all sorts of ideas that we'll either announce at the church or announce in our newsletter uh, and, 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 and support them. You know, one, one year, uh, a group of our deacons, and I really even shouldn't really even call them deacons, but some of the young men in the church who joined the deacon team just so they can do this. <laughs> they, they, they went and they bought a bunch of shovels and they went out and started shoveling the homes of seniors who couldn't do it themselves. Hmm. Uh, and then we, we announced that at the church. Uh, people got on board. People say, I want to sign up for it. And people went. And so a lot of the things we've been able to do during the other six days is simply empowering others to do it. Some of our groups um, that we now have at the corporate level, marriage care, divorce care, started with people who said, Pastor, I really want to do something for married people. And so we went, we purchased the curriculum uh, for one of those groups, for the divorce care group. We purchased the curriculum, gave it to them, trained them, and they went and they did it on their own in their home. 
um, and, and from Africa did it on their own. And now we have it at a corporate level as a church. Those same leaders who've been doing it at home are now doing it in the church. And so one of the things we've been able to do is churches are always trying to do more. And we realize with 400 people, we don't have enough people to really create, you know, service projects, service days. So what we've done is we've empowered the congregation to go out and listen to where is God, where is God telling them to serve? And we say, when you find it, bring some other people who see the same vision and go do it with them. Um, we, we now have our invite space, which is our worship service. We now have our connect groups that we're, that we're, that we're launching, which is our small groups where people grow together and connect. And then our grow experience is something we're still trying to figure out. We haven't figured it out exactly how we do that yet. Right now we do it in mid-sized experience classes, but we're still trying to figure out how do we, how do we grow um, as a congregation. Um, but I think a lot of it, it goes back to journeying with people. Um, leaders have to know that God inspires others um, amongst them. Hmm. And it's not, you're not the only person that's going to get the vision. God will also give the vision to someone else. And what we've been able to do is listen for when God is going to inspire that person and saying, hey, let's partner with you and make it happen. Wow. Well, Jose, I think I want to thank you so much for your time. I think this has been a, a fascinating conversation, and I really believe that people will be blessed. And at the same time, I think they're going to be challenged of hearing the story of Bowling Brook and uh, possibly have a lot of questions that they may want to ask you or some may want to ask you at some point. Um, and so I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the Restore uh, podcast. And um, thank you again for sharing. Welcome your- and thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Uh, just listening to the question has made me think, man, this is incredible what God is doing. Sometimes when you're in it, you don't realize all the things that God, that God is doing, but it's awesome to be here. Absolutely. Well, let us know uh, what's a good way that people could uh, get a hold of you if they want to, you know, hit you up on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or um, email. Um, how can people get a hold of you if um, you could put that out there? Yeah. So the best way to get a hold of me is info uh, at bowlingbrook.church. Uh, info at bowlingbrook.church is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, once we get those questions, uh, we, we'd be able to uh, get together. I love helping pastors and I love listening to pastors. I love listening to leaders. Um, so if anybody want to connect with me, info at bowlingbrook.church or um, jfard at, on Twitter. Okay. And that's what, jfard? That's P-H? J-P-H-A-R-D. P-H-A-R-D. J P H A R D just at, um, and that's for uh, Twitter. Awesome. Yes. Well, blessings to you and your continued ministry and your continued journey there at uh, Bolingbrook. I hope to be able to someday uh, go and uh, visit. Would love to be able to join you guys in your Elevate service and just to see how things are done there on the ground and talk to your to your uh, staff. So hopefully, maybe we can plan that one day and um, to be able to see awesome. how things are there. Uh, but until then. Um, Again, thank you for being on and may God bless you. Well, as I often say, I hope you were blessed and challenged by this episode as we explore the ongoing story of the Bolingbroke Church under the leadership of Pastor Jose St. Farad. Make sure to check out the show notes where you'll find the Bolingbroke Church website and contact information for Pastor Jose. And as always, if you have any questions for me or you think you may have something you'd believe should be on the podcast feel free to contact me at javier that's j-a-v-i-e-r dot diaz d-i-a-z at floridaconference.com 
or you can uh, hit me up on Twitter at HaviD21. That's J-A-V-I-D-21. I can't wait to share with you next month's episode, but until then, God bless. Thank you for listening to this Restore Podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.